Welcome to the weekend edition of the Daily Stoic. Each weekday, we bring you a meditation inspired by the ancient Stoics, something to help you live up to those four Stoic virtues of courage, justice, temperance, and wisdom. And then here on the weekend, we take a deeper dive into those same topics. We interview Stoic philosophers. We explore at length how these Stoic ideas can be applied to our actual lives and the challenging issues of our time. Here on the weekend, when you have a little bit more space, when things have slowed down, be sure to take some time to think, to go for a walk, to sit with your journal, and most importantly, to prepare for what the week ahead may bring. Daily Stoic is raising money for Feeding America. Last year, the Daily Stoic community came together and raised over $100,000 together, providing more than a million meals. And this year, we're trying to go twice as big. We've donated the first $20,000, and we'd like your help getting to our goal of $200,000, which would provide more than 2 million meals for families across the country. You just have to head over to dailystoic.com feeding, and together we can make a small dent in a big problem. We can't alleviate everyone's struggle or suffering, of course, but for the people we can help, the difference is huge. So let's do it. Let's be good Stoics today. Let's fulfill our obligation. Just go to dailystoic.com feeding. Even $1 can provide as many as 10 meals. So head over to dailystoic.com feeding to help us reach our goal of providing 2 million meals for families across the country. Hey, it's Ryan Holiday. Welcome to another weekend episode of the Daily Stoic Podcast. It's been cool now to put out Courage's Calling, which is the start of a new series, my Four Virtues series. But it also brings sort of fully to a close, like the last series I did, The Obstacle, Ego, and Stillness. And Obstacle came out in 2014. I really started thinking about it in 2011, 2012. So it's been a, you know, a book that's been part of my life now for, for almost 10 years. I thought it would maybe help a few people in business. I thought it would help people who, who were trying to apply stoicism to, to life, you know, again, to business. I could not have imagined that it would sell you know, close to a million and a half copies, spend weeks and weeks on the bestseller lists, and be used by Super Bowl winning teams and special forces operators and sitting senators, even world leaders. It's been an incredible, insane, totally unbelievable journey. And uh, people often ask me, you know, what's the book about? What are the lessons? What are the core key takeaways from the book? There's a million book summary uh, platforms out there. Some of them have even advertised on the Daily Stoic podcast before. Um, but in today's episode, I wanted to go back and look at that book, summarize what the obstacle is the way is really about, look at some of the practical lessons from this idea, an idea that I think about often enough that I had it tattooed on my arm. So I now think about it on a daily basis. It's always a reminder, what's the good that can come from this? What's the change I can make because of this? Where's the opportunity for growth? That to me is what stoicism is about. As Marcus really says, the impediment to action advances action, what stands in the way is the way. And that is the subject of today's episode, an in-depth summary and discussion of the ideas in the obstacle is the way, which I hope you've read. If you haven't, please do check out the book. If you have read it, I think this is a good reminder, good update, good uh, behind the scenes look at, at 
what I think is important in the book, what really stands out to me, and what I think you should be applying on a daily basis. So here is The Obstacle is the Way, summarized by me, Ryan Holiday, the author. Quick note, uh, obviously you can check it out in any format, but we have this really cool leather-bound edition of the book, which you can check out in the Daily Stoke store. It even comes with an Obstacle is the Way medallion. Um, when I was on my epic drive across the United States, I was at a gas station outside an Air Force base in Nevada, and this guy walks up to me, he's in uniform, and he goes, are you Ryan Holiday? And I said, yeah. And he's like, look what I have. And he had a leather-bound edition of the book. It was so cool. I signed that, and I gave him my first copy off the presses of Courage's Calling. Um, so if you want to check that out, go to store.dailystoic.com. Thanks for supporting this book and all the books, and enjoy this in-depth episode. You know, I opened the book with this Zen story about the king who believed his people had grown soft. And so he puts a large boulder on the road into town to see what happens. And he hides and he watches. And he watches as person after person is discouraged by this obstacle. They curse him, they quit, they wait for someone else to solve it. Nobody does anything until finally one man comes along and he decides he's gonna, he's gonna tackle this problem. He grabs a big stick, he uses it as a lever and he pries the boulder out of the path, rolls it off the trail. But what he finds underneath is a pouch of gold coins. With the coins was a note that said, never forget inside every obstacle is a chance to prove our condition. And this is where the Zen expression, the obstacle is the path comes from. It happens that the East and West were totally aligned here because there's also a quote from the great Marcus Aurelius, the emperor of Rome. He says, the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. The first discipline of this would be the discipline of perception. It makes sense. How we look at a problem is the first step in how we're going to be able to do something about it. The opening story I tell to illustrate this in the book is John D. Rockefeller, who as a young man enters finance in the midst of what we now call the Panic of 1857. He sees this, as, as he says later, as an apprenticeship in difficulty, a chance to grow and learn and see the market at both its best and its worst. Really, Rockefeller is shaped by this experience. He studies it, he sees how people got irrationally exuberant, but then also lost confidence in the market and missed out on opportunities. So look, you don't have to like Rockefeller, you can think he's the most evil man in the world, but his discipline amidst the chaos, the panics, the trends, the fads of his time is what makes him great as an investor. And in fact, he makes good chunks of his fortune in successive economic panics from the Panic of 1857, the Civil War, the Panic of 1873, 1907, even the market crash in 1929, the Rockefellers make money because they're cool under pressure. They don't get rattled by external events. But where does that come from? It comes from training. Rockefeller is good later in his life because he went through it early in his life. I talk about the, the first Apollo astronauts in the book. John Glenn, for instance, orbits the Earth, the first American to do this, and his heart rate never goes above 100. And I remember I once had dinner with, with Jim Lavelle, the, the famous astronaut who was also, uh, who knew John Glenn, and they were talking about, said, how does this happen? He says, it wasn't unfamiliar to us. We practiced it over and over and over again. We got to a place where it wasn't scary, even when things went wrong. So this nerve control, this, this comes from training. That's why police officers can be cool under pressure or special forces or an athlete can hit a shot when everyone's screaming at them because they've practiced this thousands of times. They've exposed themselves to it thousands of times. I think also this knowledge allows us to not be intimidated even by things that are new to us. I tell the story of Pericles uh, in the Peloponnesian War. He is 
casting off with the Athenian navy and an eclipse blacks out the sun. And this might not seem scary to us now because we know what an eclipse is, but in ancient Greece, they did not. And so the men are terrified, but, but thinking fast, Pericles says, well, look, if I put a cloak over your face, would you be scared? And the man says, no. And he says, well, what does it matter? What causes the darkness? Darkness itself is not scary. So this ability to break things down logically is a, an essential part of the discipline of perception. So you have to be wise, you have to be smart, you have to be intelligent, you have to, to talk yourself out of what fear wants you to feel. This is all trying to get you to a place where you can pull off the most essential part of the discipline of perception, which is where everyone else sees difficulty and hopelessness, you see something positive. So I tell this story shortly after the invasion of Normandy where Eisenhower sees all his generals are rattled by this massive Nazi counteroffensive. And he calls them all into a meeting and he strides in and he says, the present situation is to be regarded as opportunity and not disaster. He says, I only wanna see cheerful faces at this conference table. Meaning, being scared, being intimidated, not believing in ourselves, that's not gonna help us move forward. So first let's stop that bleeding, he's saying. But then let's see what good is in this. And what they realize is that this massive counteroffensive is also an opportunity because perhaps the Nazis have overreached. And so by absorbing this blow, sort of encircling them from behind, they pull off one of the biggest upsets of World War II that sets off the race to Berlin. If you've heard of the Battle of the Bulge, it's Eisenhower turning this around, flipping the obstacle, turning it into the opportunity. So that's what we do. The discipline of perception is about seeing clearly, seeing objectively, seeing calmly, and then seeing the good inside the bad, and then moving forward and taking action based on that. It's not just about how you see things. Yes, Marcus Aurelius says, life is dyed by the color of our thoughts. Those thoughts are meaningless without action. What action do you take on the thoughts? That's the essential part. The Stoics are action, action, action. And that's actually a mantra of the great Demosthenes, who I open part two, the discipline of action, of the book with. Demosthenes has dealt terrible hands. He's, he's got a speech impediment, he's weak, his parents die early, and then evil relatives steal the family fortune. This might have been the end of it for Demosthenes, but instead it becomes the event that spurs off his life of greatness, which is that he decides he's not gonna let this stand. He is going to fight for every penny back and he's gonna bring these people to justice. So he becomes a great orator because of the injustice he experiences. And he doesn't just magically decide to do this, it's incredibly difficult. He at one point actually moves into an underground burrow, shaves half of his head so he's embarrassed to go outside and practices for years and years and years to become a great speaker and a great lawyer. He even practices, puts rocks in his mouth, shouts into the wind, he builds up this booming voice overcomes the speech impediment, and he does bring them to justice. Sadly, most of the fortune is gone, but it doesn't matter because he won something greater, which is that he himself was now strong, brilliant, respected, and wise, and he could be a great lawyer and speaker and politician, which is what he becomes. So we can turn the worst thing that ever happened to us into a springboard for who we want to be or who we can be. It can actually unlock a whole new destiny for us. And I talk about Amelia Earhart. She is a great pilot, but you know, this is 1920s America. No one wants to give uh, a female pilot a shot. So when she does get this offer to be one of the first women to ever fly across the Atlantic, it seems like a horrible offer. Like she's not actually gonna get to fly the plane. She can't even be the co-pilot. She has to be the navigator. They're gonna get paid. She's not, it's like, 
a really insulting, condescending BS offer. But what does she say? She says yes, because she knows if she can get started, if she can get momentum, she can beat this. And so she accepts it. She flies the mission, she bites her tongue, but then using the power and the fame that comes from the coverage of this event, she becomes the first woman to fly solo uh, across the Atlantic. So it's about momentum and she actually has painted on the side of her plane, always think with your stick forward. It's about momentum, it's about taking action, it's about getting up and getting moving, because if you don't, you crash, or worse, you never take off in the first place. Things are never gonna be perfect, they're never gonna be ideal, they're never gonna be truly fair. You have to work with what you can, do what you can with what you've got, and then turn it into what you want to have. This persistence is so key though. I talk about Ulysses S. Grant and taking the city of Vicksburg. He tries everything, none of it works. It's only in trying everything and being so desperate that he tries this crazy plan where he runs the, get, the gun batteries at Vicksburg. Once it's done, it can never be undone. He has to forget about Vicksburg, head to Jackson, Mississippi first, but then coming at Vicksburg the other side, he turns all the advantages of this fortified city into obstacles for the people trapped inside. But more importantly, he discovered how to win the Civil War, which is that it would take endless amounts of men and energy, persistence, perseverance, dedication, and taking the war to the enemy. In fact, Sherman's March, which we know wins the Civil War, comes out of the march from Louisiana to Jackson, Mississippi, and taking the war to the enemy and living off the land. So in trying everything, he accidentally discovers the way to win the war. In my house, my wife is the coffee lover. I am the Philistine, and she is a big fan of today's sponsor. Uh, going to the grocery store isn't something we've been doing during the pandemic. We get most things delivered, and I guess I don't understand why coffee should be any different. And Trade brings you the best coffee straight to your door. You start by taking their coffee quiz. Do you use a French press, automatic drip, Are you cold brew? Whatever your answer is, Trade pairs you with the perfect coffee to fit your taste. They guarantee you'll love your first match, and on the off chance you don't, they'll replace it with a different bag for free. For Daily Stoic listeners, right now, Trade is offering your first bag free and five bucks off your first bundle at checkout. To get yours, go to drinktrade.com slash dailystoic. Use promo code dailystoic. Take the quiz to start your journey to the perfect cup. That's drinktrade.com slash dailystoic. Promo code DAILYSTOIC for first bag free, five bucks off your bundle. Enjoy. Dell Tech Fest starts now. To thank you for 40 unforgettable years, Dell Technologies is celebrating with anniversary savings on their most popular tech. For a limited time, only save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13, where you can make the everyday easier with Windows 11. Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge technology and free shipping on everything. That's dell.com slash deals. I also tell the story of Edison and the discovery of the light bulb. You know, 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. Whether he says this or not, we don't know. But he does try 6,000 different filaments as he's trying to get the light bulb to work. And one of them finally does. It takes years. Again, 6,000 filaments. So it's one out of 6,000 that work. Overcoming obstacles is really about persistence and dedication. It's also about following a methodical process. I talk about Nick Saban and the idea of the process, which builds 
uh, Alabama into perhaps the greatest college football dynasty in the, in, in the history of the game. How does Saban do this? It's not about focusing on winning. It's not about focusing on uh, the playoffs. It's not about the championship. It's not even about the fourth quarter. It's not even about the first game of the season. He wants players to focus on the immediate thing in front of you. The average down in football is like seven seconds. He says, focus doing your job these seven seconds. You accumulate it piece by piece. Zeno says well-being is realized by small steps, but it's no small thing. The process is small and humble, but it's ultimately unbeatable. And even, you know, writing the obstacles the way was, okay, first I gotta do a proposal, then I gotta sell it, then I gotta start the book, then I gotta write, not the whole thing, but just the first sentence, and then the next sentence, and then chapter one, and chapter two, and chapter three. And even getting it to, to sell, you know, it doesn't sell when it first comes out. It's only uh, six years later that it hits the bestseller list for the first time. It, it takes six years to sell a million copies. But that's because I never quit on it. I never got distracted by external results. I just focused every day on doing a little thing to make me and the book a little bit better. The other thing about obstacles is it's not always about attacking them head on. Sometimes, yeah, you test 6,000 different filaments, but sometimes you get creative. Talk about the great military strategist, B.H. Liddell Hart. He finds that of all the great battles of history, only like a minuscule percentage of them are head-to-head -head battles where two evenly matched armies beat each other. He says, no, it's all about attacking from the side. It's about trickery and feints and, and, and the element of surprise, right? You beat your obstacles by outthinking them, by outflanking them, by outmaneuvering them. Think of Gandhi, right? Gandhi doesn't beat the British army by building a bigger army. No, he uses their strength against them by accentuating his weakness. Martin Luther King does this in the American Civil Rights Movement. He says, physical power must be met with soul power. And so the greatest achievers, the people who overcome incredible odds and obstacles, don't do it by just throwing themselves against a wall. They find out if they can go under the wall or around the wall, or if they can, they can run the other direction. And then the person on the other side of the wall, they're the one that's trapped. There's an opportunity inside the obstacle. Let's not regard ourselves as being screwed over. Let's see what we can do because of this. Persistence is key, but perseverance is when you have to hang on for years. I talk about Odysseus, right? 10 years, he's lost, but he never quits. He never gives up. I open part three of the book with the story of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, as you know, did not have an easy life. He grows up in poverty. His father is abusive. He loses his mother. And on top of this, he deals with this devastating depression. They called it melancholy back then. By the time he actually does become president and the horrors of the Civil War break out, it turns out this is exactly who you want leading the country at this time because he knows what pain is. He knows how to be patient. He knows how to think about other people. He knows how to hang on. And so everything, every difficulty, every failure, every piece of pain that he went through up until this point was in fact leading up to who he needed to be in this critical moment. And that can be true for you. That's what Amor Fati, that's what Stoicism is ultimately about, about using everything that happened as fuel to become who you can become. The Stoics say, look, things can be hard, but only you can quit. You have to decide to quit. And if you don't quit, if you decide to grow or learn or be made better for what's happened, then ultimately you do win. And one of my favorite stories in the book, I tell another Edison story, which is that towards the end of his life, he's America's most famous inventor sitting down for dinner with his family and a man rushes in. The factory is on fire. His life's work up in flames. He rushes to the scene. There's nothing he can do about it. 
You know, he could have broken down, he could have cried, he could have killed himself. Instead, he grabs his son and he says, go get your mother and all her friends. They'll never see a fire like this again. This is an illustration of a key Stoic idea, the idea of amor fati. So yes, the Stoics accept things that are outside of our control so we can focus on what's in our control. But beyond acceptance is an embracing, a love of what's happened. And that's what the idea of amor fati means, a love of fate. Marcus Aurelius says, what you throw on top of a fire, a fire turns to heat and brightness and flame. That's what Edison was doing and he rebuilds. He comes back better for what he's gone through. And that's the question for you with what you're dealing with. Are you gonna be better for this injury, for this loss, for this, this mess up, this mistake, this failure? You decide that. No event is so bad that you can't decide to learn something from it, that you can't decide to use it as an opportunity to grow. I tell the story of, of Admiral James Stockdale, who, who read Epictetus, who was shot down over Vietnam. He's taken prisoner of war. And he says to himself that I'm not gonna lose faith. And he says, I never lost faith in my ability to decide the end of the story. That I, if I survived, he said, I was gonna have turned this into the best thing that ever happened to me. And he does that not just when he gets home, it's not like dead time where he's just trapped there for seven years, but while he's there, he's the commanding officer. He's strong for the men. He teaches them a code so they can communicate. One of the things they communicate that tapping these cups is, is US, not United States, but unity over self. He is the inspiration, the backbone, the leader that these men need while they're trapped in this horrible place. And that's what stoicism is. It's about, even when life devastates you and breaks you, it's about stepping up. It's about making something out of what's happened. Obviously, I want you to read the book. You know, I have a leather edition, I have the regular book. But if you don't have time to read it, if you're not sure, just apply this one thing. Uh, this is a quote from Marx Realist, I think summing up the three disciplines that we just talked about. Remember, the discipline of perception, the discipline of action, the discipline of will. He says, objective judgment now at this very moment. He says, unselfish action now at this very moment. Then he says, willing acceptance now at this very moment. That's all you need, right? You need to see things clearly, see them for what they are. That's what Rockefeller did so well. Unselfish action, what do you do for others? How can you put yourself out there, really try and not give up? That's Grant at Vicksburg. That's Edison and the discovery of the light bulb. That's Marcus Aurelius selling off the palace furnishings at the depths of the Antonine Plague. Doing what you can to be better for what's happened. And then finally, willing acceptance. Some stuff happens. Some stuff is hard. Some stuff is gonna take way longer than we thought, but we can't give up, we can't give in. We have to choose to be transformed by what happened. We have to use this as an opportunity to be strong, to be resilient, to be caring, uh, to be committed. And that's what makes us who we are. So that's what I was trying to write in the book, the idea that, uh, as that King said, inside every obstacle is always a chance to improve our condition, that, that what's in the way is the way, the obstacle is the path, the timeless art of turning trials into triumph, it's simple, it's not easy as I say in the book, but you can do it. And I tried to present examples and stories in this video and in the book that you can follow. They're not, they're, they're simple, they're straightforward, they're inspiring. I hope you check it out. But most importantly, I hope you remember Marcus Aurelius's advice, objective judgment now at this very moment, unselfish action now at this very moment, willing acceptance now at this very moment of all external events. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to The Daily Stoic early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts.
In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Varian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. From Wondery, this is Black History For Real. I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Conscious Lee. What do most <laughs> people think about when they hear the words Black History? Rosa Parks, Reconstruction, MLK, February, Black History Exactly, Mom. exactly. There are so many stories of Black History that we just are not really talking about or thinking about, especially outside of February. And we are about to flip the script on all of that. Because on this show, you're going to hear a little less. In August 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And a little bit more. She is a heroine to some. As a fighter for black rights, she is a villain to others. Follow Black History for Real on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen everywhere on February 5th, or you can listen early and ad-free on Wondery Plus starting January 29th. Join Wondery Plus on the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Black 